0: worship team. Today we're going to be looking from a, at a passage from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, that's in the back of your Bibles. And if you're using a blue pew Bible, that's page 1007, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. I read an article this week. I think the title was uh, Spiritual disruption and the thrust of the article was that the world tries to press you into a a mold think of an assembly line everybody's got to hear the same thing everybody's got to turn out the same thing everybody's got to think the same thing and in order to not be that way there has to be something disruptive in your life that gets you out of that thinking and So the article was talking about spiritual disciplines, and one of those spiritual disciplines is being together as a community. So this is a spiritually disruptive event. You you could play golf, you could be watching television, you could be shopping. There's a lot of other things you could do that would just press you into that mold, but just being together is a spiritually disruptive event. I hope you feel that way. And my hope is that as you come to church, and we particularly do this well, the one way the community is effective is if you stand around and talk to each other. So we're good at that because I'm always like, let's leave. I mean, I've been here early, and come on, the 11 o'clock crowd wants to stand around and talk. But I think that's a beautiful thing. We're not Costco, as wonderful as Costco is. But Costco is, you don't stand around and talk right i mean move your buggy and move on i got stuff to grab and i got to go and that can feel like church sometimes i'm here to grab and go I'm here to get a good sermon here here to get a good song and then then leave and that's not spiritually disruptive what's spiritually disruptive is just not being in a hurry here just being together just singing listening to a sermon Talking to a friend, and so I'm very happy today that Rob Hamilton is going to preach for us. Rob's a friend of mine; he's been a friend of mine for a long time, and his wife was in uh, Young Life when I was Young Life Area Director here in Wilmington. And Rob planted a church in, in Wilmington, and three years ago he started a the Hope Center, which is a counseling center. And what I like about Rob, and there are lots of things Rob, but um, when I when I think of myself as a preacher, I think of myself as a a coach. So when you leave, you might feel a little bruised. And I know none of you have said it quite that way, but I know what you say, like, "Oh, that really hit home, Paul." Like you br- gave me a bruise, but that's okay. It was a good bruise. It's like you're exhorting us, and you'll be you'll be very happy with Rob today because he's a counselor. Right, so he'll say a lot of the same kinds of things, but the way he says it, you'll feel so much better about yourself than when I <laughs> preach to you. But I'm okay. I mean, I'm still okay because Rob thinks I'm okay. So he, he's going to, just his whole persona is going to be like a warm bath for you today. And I don't even know what he's going to preach on. I mean, other than this text I'm going to read here in just a minute. And he's probably like, please get off the stage, Paul. But um, he's a man who knows the Lord. He knows his own weaknesses and brokenness. He's familiar with these pots in his own lives and the lives of people he counsels. And he's going to talk to us about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. So let's stand and read those two verses, and then we'll take a moment to reflect. Hebrews ten twenty-four, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not ne- not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word.
1: Good morning. Thanks for that oddly flattering introduction, Paul. <clears throat> it's the first time I've been compared to a warm bath, but that. I guess there's worse things, you know. Uh, Yes, I want to talk about worshiping together uh, today and an emphasis on that word together, kind of the horizontal aspect of worshiping together as an important uh, foundational piece of your discipleship, of my discipleship. Uh, And if I had to put a subtitle to this, I would I would title it a, an honest but hopeful Lenten reflection on the church. Uh, and yes, I might say some things that that Paul probably couldn't say if he was preaching this message um, because of my position of not being a pastor here, so it won't sound ser- self-serving. So the only reason I'm going to really uh, press on you in my warm bath way is is. In hopes that you, uh, in your walk with Christ and for the health of your soul, uh, will have the benefits of of what it means to really worship together. Uh, About a generation ago in in evangelism, we would often say things like this, Uh, you know, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, you know, do you remember that? Uh, Today we'd probably say, you know, going to Chick-fil-A doesn't make you a chicken sandwich because they're more popular. By the way, while we're on the topic of McDonald's, somebody's lying because they sell like 10 billion hamburgers a year and none of y'all admit to going there. (laughs) I mean, it's delicious. I'm not, I don't, I'm not embarrassed to admit you can judge me all you want. I, every now and then those little tiny like microwaved hamburgers are delicious. But you know, what we were getting at was, Hey, just being at church doesn't make you right with God, right? Just going in there, singing the songs, giving music, whatever, uh, and so personal faith in Christ is really important, okay and so it it was a useful question because we used to have a problem with nominal Christianity much more than we do today uh, It's going to become much and much uh, less of a problem, uh, but you know, I always thought it kind of an odd question um, you know if you just going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger because not going to McDonald's also doesn't make you a hamburger. And if you're a hamburger, shouldn't you be at McDonald's or wherever uh, hamburgers are sold? Uh, You know, our faith is personal, but it is not private. And God has not designed our uh, spiritual life or his plans for our lives uh, to just be us doing it alone with the Bible and the Holy Spirit. The same God who has uh, called us to himself has also called us into the church. Uh, and that sounds great and wonderful, but then there's a problem sometimes. Because, like Joseph said about these cracked pots, you know, we can often look at each other and be like, why are they here? And uh, how long are they going to be here? And when are they going to leave, right? Um, I have a complicated relationship with the church. <laughs> As a believer, uh, as a pastor, partly because I've been a pastor, I uh, could still consider myself a pastor, uh, and so maybe you do too. Uh, Psalm 122, I think it is, the first verse, uh, in the black church, they love this verse. You know, they'll exhort each other, I was glad when they said to me, you remember the rest of it, let's go to the house of the Lord, or let's go up to the house of the Lord. Um, and I wonder this morning if you were glad when they, the body, said to you, "Let's let's go up to worship. I'm guessing there were a variety of reactions that we all had this morning. Uh, but I want to talk about four things and, and just briefly touch on each, uh, maybe spend more time at the end. But the first thing is just what what is worshiping together? What are we here to do? <clears throat> why we need it? Uh, and then why we often neglect it and how we can stay committed to it. Okay, so that's a little overview what we're going to, Cover over the next hour or so. Just kidding. Give me give me fifteen twenty minutes. Uh, that's pastor humor. That joke's got a lot of mileage on it, right? Every church I preach at, I drop that and soften them up. That's the one of the one two. Um, the Book of Common Prayer by Acno, which is the uh, Anglican Church of North America. Um, I I can't find a better statement of what our worship together is than, than what they say. It says, We come together in his presence to humbly acknowledge our sins, to give thanks for the great benefits we've received at his hands, to declare his most worthy praise, to hear his holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things which are necessary for our life and salvation. That's why we gather together here today. Uh, it's something that the Christians have done since uh, the earliest days of the church, right at Pentecost. Acts 2 tells us that they devoted themselves. We'll come back to that word. They devoted themselves. The word means uh, to hold strongly onto something. It, it's, a, it's a compulsive, habitual t- kind of practice. And there were four things. Uh, there was the apostles' teaching. So we, we come together to learn and to sit under God's word and to, to study uh, and and to to have a, a download or an update and sync up on a regular basis with God and his truth. Then there was the fellowship. There was this sharing in Christ together, sharing out with one another. Um, that was the part where we're lingering around and just talking and enjoying relationships within the church. Then there was The breaking of bread, which most likely was referring to the Lord's Supper because it says the breaking of the bread. They also would get together informally and have meals and uh, break the regular bread. Um, But that refers to the sacraments in general, baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? And then finally, it says they devoted themselves to the prayers uh, in the Greek. So it was probably form prayers, types of prayers, and of course, we know there was spontaneous prayers. Prayers as well that people would pray when they joined together. And those are, those are the four habits of a Spirit-filled church. Uh, when the Spirit came at Pentecost, that is what the Holy Spirit created. And that is what the early Christians devoted themselves to. And they didn't say, hey, I am filled with the Spirit now, and I am so spiritual that I don't need the church anymore. The church is not like training wheels that you shed. Uh, it's something that we need for our entire lives as we walk with Christ. Why do we need it? Well, just briefly, you can you can probably answer this on your own. But first of all, I mean, we belong to each other. Um, when you are joined to Christ, uh, you are joined to his people, <laughs> all right? Uh, with all of our good traits and our weaknesses and our sin, uh, we belong to each other whether we believe it or not. Uh, we are united together. And to say that we don't need each other is, is somewhat uh, ludicrous. You know, it'd be like inviting me over for dinner to your house, saying, hey, Rob, we would love to hang out with you, really enjoy you, uh, but don't bring your wife, you know. It's usually the opposite. People are like, yeah, yeah, we love Haley. She's so much fun and outgoing. Uh, you know, Rob's just a warm bath. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let up on that one but I get it all the time. I hear it's You're so comforting. You're so relaxing. You're so laid back. <laughs> if you only knew the storm inside me. Uh, think about that. Imagine telling Jesus like, man, Jesus, I love you, but your bride, like I could do without her. He'd be like, ouch. What? Whoa. Okay. You Americans say the silliest things. Uh, But we need each other. We need to come here and have each other speak into our lives. In Hebrews, it says, uh, what does it say? Let us consider. Let us consider how to spur one another on. I'm reading the NIV. I think maybe you have ESV here. I apologize. But I think the ESV says, uh, consider how we stir one another up, right? But in the Greek, the object of consider is one another. And the word consider means really set your mind on it. Set your minds on each other. Don't live independently and privately in your faith. Think about each other, and you need each other to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Now, here's the, two, uh, the double-edged sword of this fellowship. is, The word there for stir up or spur on in Greek can be kind of negative, or it can be neutral or positive. Uh, it, it's used in much of the literature sometimes for annoying and irritating and provoking Someone. It also can be used neutrally for like stirring up and spurring people on, motivating. Right? And there's a fine line in the church, isn't there, between man, you are really irritating and annoying me right now, or I'm doing that to you, and man, you are really motivating and you know bringing me out and bringing the best out in me. And so when we come in the church and begin to rub and bump into each other. Uh, man, it, it's sometimes you don't know which one's happening, right? Because <laughs> C- our own sin is being exposed, our uh, immaturity is getting uh, pointed out, uh, and yet there's grace here because God's calling us to to leave that stuff behind and in one another's company and ministry to to grow. And then, of course, we need outward ordinances—things God has said, "Do this regularly and do it in remembrance of me." and Uh, We need the word preached to us. Uh, We need the the Lord's Supper and baptism as things that are visible and even the things you can taste and hold in your hands that are reminders of the gospel that's preached to us and that we believe uh, so that our faith can be strengthened. Uh, We, if we rely only on our private devotions, will be lacking uh, and we need to come here and and be reminded to, de- to declare our faith, to confess our sins, to uh, receive the sacraments. It's, it's why we need it, because God has, God has designed our spiritual life this way. He has intended that if you belong to him, that you need the church and you need other believers. But why do we neglect it, as this passage says? The word neglect is used in... In the Old Testament, uh, the word that's here uh, underneath it, the Greek word, um, it's used for abandoning God and his ways. Uh, it's, it's sometimes translated forsake. It, it's to kind of just drop something in the middle of what you're doing and leave and go off and do something else. Um, and we don't know exactly why people in the early church were neglecting to meet together. It's probably similar uh, to a lot of the things that keep us from meeting together. But he says it had become the habit of some um, they were probably being persecuted there were some of those who were not coming to to meetings anymore because of persecution and the effect it would have on them. Some of them might have been wanting to form factions right you know we're like we don't like the music so we're going to start another group or something or you know the pastor doesn't do things the way we think he should do it so we'll start another uh, church plant. I mean, uh, facts. What, uh, wait, what did I just say? Just kidding, kind of. Uh, why we neglect it, okay? Um, it, the church is a baffling thing. I, I want to share a quote by a guy named Carlo Caretti. I don't really know much about the guy, but I ran across this quote, and it's beautiful, powerful, and I related to it. He says, how baffling you are, O church, and yet how I love you. I've seen nothing in the world more devoted to obscurity, more compromised, more false. And I've touched nothing more pure and more generous and more beautiful. How often I've wanted to shut the doors of my soul in your face. And yet, how often I've prayed to die in the safety of your arms. No, I can't free myself from you, church, because I am you, although not completely. And besides, where else should I go? Maybe you can relate to that. There's an old uh, little poem that that goes, To dwell above with the saints in love, oh, that is going to be glory. But to dwell below with the saints, I know that is a totally different story. (laughs) We all are cracked pots. Uh, The church is in visible, personable, social form the gospel. When we come here, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are broken people who are being rehabilitated out of our fallen lives and struggling to live in this fallen world, coming to a Savior who has grace and new life for us. And we are not there yet. We are all in process. I've got uh, at least six or seven reasons why we neglect church involvement, and I'll run through them very quickly. First is individualism. In America, we are unaware because it's the air we breathe just how individualistic we are. The early church would have looked a little bit askew at us, and when they would see our individualistic ways, you know, they would be like, This is very different. You know, they had much more communal uh, type of mindset. Uh, But individualism is that idea. I think it's especially prevalent in the Wilmington church community. Uh, We think we are kind of free agents, and we float among churches. Churches are kind of just where you bring people who need to hear the gospel. But for those of us who are really more mature, we kind of go there just to help out. And and it's optional, right? Um, But that's not the way God has designed the body, right? And then secondly, a consumer mindset. Um, you know, we, we come and we, we look at church for the things that we like, that are interesting, that are fun or exciting or whatever. And if it's not there, you know, we, we might go looking for it somewhere else. And if we can't find it anywhere, we just give up and take it in online somewhere. By the way, online is a great tool. It's been uh, it, When it's necessary, it's great. But uh, coming to church and worshiping together in person, there's no substitute for it. Um, and, you know, the early church, John even wrote a letter where he was saying, you know, beautiful letter full of wonderful stuff, and at the end he finally just says, look, I have more to say, but I just want to say it to you face to face. I can't wait to see you face to face. The Christians wanted to see each other face to face. Um, Then there's just disordered busyness, uh, uh, sorry, disordered priorities and busyness. We all have unconscious and conscious hierarchies or pyramids of priorities, you know, and and whatever's at the top trumps other things below it, you know, like uh, if sports, if that's the most important thing, when church begins to, you know, compete with that, well, then if sports is first, then we, we put church aside. Uh, if academics, if work, if uh, going to the beach and having fun, whatever it is, um, you know whatever 's higher on our priority hierarchy than worshipping together with god 's people uh, will 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 trump involvement in the church then there 's disillusionment you know where we just think what 's the point you know I used to have such high expectations and <clears throat> ideals for the church, and what what is this thing though you know what 's all the 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 politics and you know, everything that's going on, what what does this even mean? Um, and maybe you can relate to that, the feeling of disillusionment. There can be even shame or guilt. You know, some people won't come to church or stop coming to church uh, because they just, they feel like they're unworthy. They feel like people see their their sin and their failures. Maybe they've really put their life in the ditch, Uh, like we all have maybe at some point, and you feel like, man, I can't go show up where all the good, clean people hang out, right? Uh, Why would I do that? I would say if you were in that position that this is the first place you should come. And I would challenge you as a church and me, as a church member, are we a place where when people are covered in their shame, when they have really botched it, when they have really put their life in the ditch, that this is the first place they would feel safe to come and that we would welcome them in. That's challenging. Challenges me. Um, And then there is church hurt. And I hear this a lot in the counseling that I do. It's becoming more and more common. Usually is referred to to church hurt. And it can be just uh, this sense of disillusionment or, you know, Uh, Being hurt in relationships and very disappointed um, and discouraged all the way up to things more like uh, spiritual abuse and abuse of authority, uh, which are very real things. Um, And so sometimes when we get hurt, we stay away. And then finally, it can just be a habit. Something I hear a lot, again, in my counseling is I'll ask them about their faith background, their church involvement, and they'll say, well, you know, we were going to church before COVID, and we were enjoying it. Things were going well. Then we got the habit in COVID. We started watching online. Then we kind of just stopped watching, and we kind of haven't gotten back involved, and um, it's just a habit. I'm not here to judge you for that, right? Um, It's just something that is, Uh, but I would also say, would you hear me out? Maybe consider getting back involved. I'm preaching to the choir because you're all at church. You're probably all like, Rob, what? we get it. We're here, right? And we're here every Sunday. Uh, but maybe, are we streaming online? So if you're at home listening, it's wonderful if you need to use that op- uh, technology. But if not, being here in person, nothing nothing beats it. And so let me close by saying this. How, how can we make it a habit? Uh, you know, we have uh, look down on habits sometimes in the evangelical world. Again, it's like the McDonald's burger thing. It's like we don't want it to just be this routine or, uh, you know, if our heart's not in it, then, then we shouldn't do it. Um, but habits are extremely powerful things. We shape our habits and our habits shape us. Scripture is in favor of habits and devotions of certain things. Uh, first of all, let me talk about the church hurt. First of all, get healed from the hurt. Um, find a safe place in the church or somewhere where you can kind of recover and and get a sense of safety again, Uh, even if you have to go to another church and let that be a place where you you can hide a little bit. Psalm 84, the psalm that says, you know, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. A really beautiful psalm about uh, the psalmist is in the temple worshiping, and um, in there has this interesting little statement, like, even... uh, even a swallow or a little bird and its young find a place to nest in your house, O oh Lord. And I, I don't know if the psalmist up in the rafters saw there just happened to be a bird. And it's just a beautiful picture of sanctuary and a safe place where you can kind of find a little place to hide and, and be safe. Uh, maybe you need that. Get help from others if you have church hurt. And then thirdly, make sure you distinguish between Christ and his church. Christ did not hurt you. <laughs> God is not like those people who abuse their authority or who uh, hurt other people and are selfish and self-serving or whatever happened, you know. I know that's hard to do, and that can be a Um, cop-out. Non-Christians, the number one complaint usually is hypocrisy in the church of what keeps, that's an obstacle for them. Sometimes that's an excuse because really subconsciously, Uh, what they're doing is they don't want to have to submit to God and his lordship, and they're looking for excuses, okay? But (laughs) uh, there is such a thing. You know, in this passage, it says, here's why we come together. In the few verses before, it was a vertical focus of, hey, keeping our trust in God and keeping our hope. Uh, But he says here the goal is to spur one another on to love and good deeds. What if the word on the street about us as Christians was those are the love and good deeds people? Those are the people that, man, when you have just crashed and burned your life, <laughs> you can come in the front row seat, feel welcomed and unashamed, and sit in front of the cracked pots up here. <laughs> See disillusionment as a gift. If you are disillusioned with the church, brothers and sisters, it's a gift because it shows you were working with an illusion that we were thinking the church was something more than we could expect of it than a gathering of fallen broken sinners being saved by grace it gives us clarity and reality commit to patient reform instead of just frustrated rejection come and get involved and practice those four devotion uh, those four practices and habits i mentioned from acts 2:42 come here if you're wondering what's it all about why are we here come Uh, to learn from God's word, come to enjoy the fellowship, come to uh, take part in the outward ordinances, and come uh, to pray to God and to seek him. And then finally, use the power of habit. I think when I was here, it's been almost a year, which is hard to believe, we did a little soul care discussion. I mentioned the importance of habits, and a guy named Justin Early, which I think you guys have used his stuff here a little bit, um, and he, he talks about habits as liturgies of belief uh, and a habits of behavior that occurs automatically over and over and often subconsciously. Um, and he talks about keystone habits, certain habits that if you change or implement this one thing, it has a way of affecting everything else in your life or a lot of things in life. And worshiping together, if it's a priority and habit for you and your family, it's one of those keystone habits, or as one author calls them, atomic habits, right? You split this little tiny atom, and boom, big results, right? Um, and so if, if it becomes a habit to worship together, it, it might be a small thing, but it will impact so many areas of your life. My family and I have started doing puzzles during the winter, um, I don't want to make it sound like it's a bigger thing than it is. We do maybe one or two when the weather's bad, and we're stuck inside, and we we put them together. And as you know, there's a right way to do puzzles, right? <laughs> right? My way. That's the right way to do puzzles. And you start, wh- what do you start with? Anybody know? The corner pieces and the edge pieces, right? So... Once you get that frame in there, everything else tends to fit and fall in place a little easier. And so worshiping together is one of those keystone habits that if we really understand why we do it, that we overcome the obstacles to doing it, and we really make it a priority and maximize it for what it's meant to be by God, uh, it has a way of making life fit together. As puzzling as this life can be, as puzzling as even the Christian walk can be, if we keep worshiping together right around the edges as a keystone habit, so much in your life will fall into place. And so I just can't commend it to you enough. I'm not here to make you feel guilty for not coming to church. I'm here to invite you to church and remind you just what a wonderful gift and blessing that it is. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your body. Help us, Lord, with with our struggle with some of the difficulties of trying to live together as your body. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to make whatever changes we need to by your Holy Spirit's work in our hearts to make commitment to worshiping you in the presence of your people a priority. And that would be a great blessing to our lives. And I pray for anybody... Uh, Lord, who is struggling with deep hurt or disillusionment about the church or feeling that they don't fit or belong, uh, that you'd work to draw them in and help them to find a safe place in the church uh, where their faith can be restored and begin to grow and that they would be healed. In Jesus' name, amen.